Kaf Gimel Tevet Tafshin Ayin Vav. Coming to you from the home office of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Poogie, 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 Lahakat Kaveret, from their performance in the park. Welcome one and all. Welcome to this edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, and you're listening to us over the Nachum Siegel Network. We're here each and every Monday, immediately following Jamie in the AM, which is 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time, and as you could probably tell from my voice, I have a bad cold. So we're gonna, we're gonna change things around a little bit today. Not much though. Um, thank you for joining us. You can join us in so many different ways and we appreciate that you do. And our Facebook page is very popular, facebook.com slash the Israel show, where we post on a regular basis each and every week after the show links to all the songs that we played during the show, which is very helpful. And uh, we also post links to columns, articles that we've discussed, or other news. And during the week, we also update you if there's something interesting that we don't think you're going to see elsewhere. So we try to do all those things on our Facebook page, and we will be happy. If you like us, it will uh, help us in uh, our pursuit of getting out to more people. Um, On today's show, we will somewhat continue the discussion of last week about the um, situation of the... Young kids, what they call the hilltop youth in Yehudan Shemron, uh, yesterday a indictment was brought against one adult and one child. The one adult, Amuam ben Oliel, was charged with the burning of the Dawabsha house and the murder of three people with a firebomb. The, um, the minor, was charged with aiding and assisting and a bunch of smaller, quote-unquote, incidents against Arabs. Uh, we'll try and discuss some of that with you, and uh, we'll give you more information. This just uh, we'll give you more information also about the attack on in Tel Aviv on Friday. But there is information that is just coming in from Israel, and that is the um, the payback, if you will. The payback from uh, Syria, Lebanon, Hezbollah, whoever it is, for the murder, murder, I shouldn't say that, for for the killing of Samir Kuntar, a despicable terrorist who Israel killed two weeks ago, and um, his supporters pledged that they would revenge his death, so that might be happening right now. Um, there's been a large, um, a large explosive that was um, utilized against the army just um, within the last hour up in the north. Uh, roads are closed. Schools have been closed uh, for concern. There is a concern that it might escalate. People up north say that they are hearing the retaliation strikes that Israel is uh, conducting now, bombing in Lebanon. And so that hopefully is a minor Incident which will not grow into uh, into some regional uh, <laughs> a, a regional dispute. There's m- way, way, way too much um, war going on up there between Syria and ISIS and the rebels and Hezbollah, every, all the different factions that are there now. And Israel has been uh, uh, wonderful, but staying out of it, and hopefully will uh, continue to do so as well. Um, have enough hands full without it. And let them all have fun with each other. As Menachem Begin used to say, when Iran and Iraq 
were having their huge war and, and tens of thousands were being killed on each side. I wish them both great success. This is Kobi Ozur Chemdat Yamim. Get us into the spirit and the mood. Beautiful cover of Reb Shlema Kabbas Chemdat Yamim. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. OVOs with that great cover of Rishon Makabach's Chemdat Yamim. I'm Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, this past Friday, as you probably know by now, there was a uh, terror attack in Tel Aviv. 
And uh, as we analyze and look into it, there are a few things that are different about this attack than uh, the previous attacks that we've been experiencing over the past uh, months, months and months. The, the, this, um, these attacks that happen on a regular basis usually do not happen in Tel Aviv. There were a few here and there that did happen in Tel Aviv. Uh, most of them were stabbings. This was unusual for several reasons. Number one, the, the terrorist was, is an Israeli Arab. He's a citizen of the state of Israel. He lives in Vadi Aran, the northern part of Israel. Excuse me for being uh, a little congested here. Um, he uh, He's an Israeli citizen with full rights. He can travel around somewhat undetected. Came to Tel Aviv with a uh, small machine gun that was owned, is owned by his father. Different reports... Uh, some people, uh, eyewitnesses thought it was an M16 and so forth. It turns out it is a, a unique, well, almost, almost a one of its kind, uh, machine gun. It looks like, somewhat like an Uzi, but it is not. It is a European made gun. There are, from what I understand, only three of them in Israel. And it was, uh, and it's known that uh, the father of this terrorist owns one of them. The father seems to be, um, a good guy. You know, um, He's a volunteer in um, the uh, auxiliary police up in his town. He immediately condemned um, the actions of his son, and uh, other members of the family did as well. My my gut tells me that they're not interested in, in having trouble. They live well, and they don't want scrutiny brought down upon them. So that's one difference. This was a local guy. Now, his relatives and others say that, uh, well, he's deranged and so forth. I don't know to what extent one can go with that. Uh, number one, he had already sat in prison. He sat in prison for uh, several years ago for attacking a soldier, an Israeli soldier, and trying to grab his weapon. Which tells me that years ago already this kid um, had a rather violent part to him, piece to him, and that he wanted a gun in order to use it. He sat in prison, got out of prison, and um, continued sort of like miscellaneous jobs and so forth. So if he is deranged, why is he just walking around, considering the fact that he, he obviously has a violent side to him? And if he's deranged and just wanted to kill people, doesn't matter who, why didn't he just take his father's gun and kill anybody in his town? No, he went to Tel Aviv, rather deliberately. He went to Dizengoff, a very central street in Tel Aviv, and just shot up people at a cafe on a Friday afternoon. Um, unusual, he did not scream Allah Wakbar, which is one of the reasons that Israeli police and security forces felt that maybe this was not a nationalist attack, a terror attack. He did have a Quran in his bag, a bag that he left near the scene. The other part, which is very troubling, is on our side. Nobody shot him. You know, Tel Aviv in Israel is often felt that Tel Aviv is its own little country. That, you know, Medina Tel Aviv, they call it. They're very, that, that the attitude in Tel Aviv is one where people are not as 
connected with what else, what's going on, surely not with what's going on in Yerushalayim. Speculation is that if this attack, God forbid, would have happened in Yerushalayim, this, this kid, this, uh, this terrorist would be dead. That somebody carrying a gun nearby would hear what's going on, run after him, shoot him, etc. In Tel Aviv, not that many people are carrying weapons. There is a story, and I think it's true. I believe it is. If it's not, I will I will update you um, in, in a future show. But I've heard it now from several sources that somebody in the area had a gun. And people were screaming to this person, shoot, shoot. And he hesitated, didn't want to shoot. And one of the people said, give me your gun, I'll shoot. And he wouldn't give him the gun. So that, if that story is true... It, if it's not true, it still says a lot about the mindset of the Tel Aviv, uh, of the people in Tel Aviv, that they are, in fact, somewhat, not everybody, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. Yes, obviously, I'm generalizing, stereotyping. But, um, but to a great extent, this feeling in Tel Aviv that we're not really part of, of what's going on. We're far away from this stuff. And uh, sometimes they are reminded that, that they're not. Um, and they haven't caught, Israeli security has not yet caught the terrorist shooter. He is at large, and people in Tel Aviv are scared. In fact, yesterday, only 50% of kids came to school, and there was all kinds of mixed messages that the parents were getting from from the uh, city council, from the government. You know, they said, well, if you're afraid, you can leave your kids at home, but you don't have to leave your kids at home, uh, and 50% of uh, kids didn't show up to school, and those that did show up ended up being released early. Um, would that happen in other cities? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. But um, clearly, the people in that area are scared that there's a uh, that there's a terrorist running around in, in their midst. Now, there was another uh, killing, another murder, which took place within the hour of the Friday attack it's it's a murder that's not getting a lot of uh, press one reason is that there's a there's a media um, blackout so to speak imposed by the israeli security on the details but we do know that it was an arab cab driver from lud from the city of lud who was killed um, northern part of tel aviv and it would seem from from what they're not saying that there is a connection between these two events, that maybe, possibly, this cab driver helped the uh, terrorist flee, and then the terrorist, um, the terrorist uh, killed him, um, and um, he was buried yesterday. The, the shooter, by the way, the terrorist's name is uh, Nashat Milcham. Nashat Milcham. He's uh, he's 31, and he's from the area of uh, Vadi Ara in northern Israel, which is uh, part of the what's called Mishulash, an area in, in in the Galil, which is very very Arab, and uh, a lot of attempts to settle Jews there, but uh, not always that successful. Uh, my name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're going to go to some music, Udi Davidi with Im Ein Anili Mili, and then we'll be back with more on what's going on in Israel right now. Thanks for joining us.
שלא תפנה אתה, תמיד תוכל לראות את כל הטוב שבבריאה, תמיד תדע לשתול זרעים של אהבה מסביבך. הזמן יקר כל כך, והמלאכה רבה, ואז רעים תמונים עמוק עמוק בתוכך, עשה לדרכך, פזר אותם סביבך בעצמך. Rudy Davidi, Mena Nili Mili, here on uh, the here on the Israel show. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, too much going on. Don't even know where I am. Um, so just to give you a quick update: the area up north in the Galil that uh, is uh, experiencing some uh, attacks, cross-border attacks, is uh, the Hardov area. Always a rather exposed area way back when Israeli soldiers were actually kidnapped from Hardov. Uh, one of the northmost uh, sections of, of Israel uh, along the Golan. A, uh, a huge, a huge, uh, um, explosive 
was uh, placed on uh, one of the roads and um, it hit uh, some bulldozers that were doing work there. Nobody, so it seems, was injured, thank God. Israel continues to bomb the other side of the border, to shell the other side of the border, uh, in order to prevent the Hezbollah from putting um, uh, any explosives on our side of the border. They would love to do that, the Hezbollah, they would, to injure somebody as they did. Uh, they've done it several times, either kidnap people or, or injure people and then kidnap them, and uh, that's what ended up uh, starting the second uh, Lebanon war. Goldwasser and Regev that were kidnapped, uh, killed and kidnapped from the northern border as they were patrolling there. So this is a known uh, situation. We've been here before and hopefully Israel knows what they're doing. I mean, they know what they're doing. Hopefully they'll do it right. Um, let us... Um, I'll talk a, a bit about uh, the um, the Duma situation, the Hilltop Youth I uh, was going to do more detail of it, but uh, I think we're going to leave that for, for next week. What, what has happened, and there has been a, a development here, um, there's been an indictment brought against Amiram Ben Oliel. He is, according to the Shinbet and the police, the person who um, is responsible for the murder of uh, the Duapsha family, a father, a mother, and an 18-month-old infant. According to his statement, and uh, they go and uh, to the scene, they take the person to the scene and tell him, tell us exactly what happened, where did you go, and so forth. And based on his ability to reconstruct the actual crime, um, they're able to tell whether he's really doing it, whether he really did it or not. And they did take him there, and he did reconstruct the crime. He said that he uh, uh, tried to open the windows in order to throw a Molotov cocktail in. The first two windows were locked, and then he went to another window, there was a screen, he pulled back the screen, threw the Molotov cocktail, it didn't actually enter the home, it hit the screen, uh, but it uh, the flames did catch, and ultimately the house burnt down, and, and the people inside were, were killed. Um, now, there was another miner who was arrested as well, it is claimed that he was supposed to go with Amiram Ben Oliel. Together they were going to do this. It, it makes sense that two people would do it together, so to speak. None of this makes any sense, but if you're going to kill people and you're going on this kind of mission, it makes sense that you have another person with you. But it turns out that the younger kid didn't didn't show. He just didn't show, and then uh, Amiram Ben Oliel um, went on and did it on, on his own. So um, the minor is now being charged with uh, a, a, a attempted murder or helping in a murder, um, but not the murder itself. Now, the other side of it is that both uh, this, this uh, the, the current person who's being indicted, Amiram, and the youth that whose name we may not disclose because he's a minor, claim that they really didn't do it, that the uh, Shinbet tortured them so, and uh, they had no choice but to say that they did something that they didn't do just in order to get the Shinbet to stop them from the torture. That's how bad the torture was, and that, in fact, they didn't do it. Um, this is the defense that, that they are giving. Both the defendant, his lawyer, 
His parents um, released a video yesterday also saying that they have full confidence that their son didn't do it. He's all of 21 years old, by the way. It's interesting. He's a kid. He's married, has a little baby. And um, his parents also claim that he didn't do it. There are two sides to this. If you ask me, he probably did it. And um, he did everything in his power to avoid the shin bet, um, getting an admission from him. And the shin bet said, we have to do everything possible to stop this so that it doesn't happen again, so that the Jewish kids who have strayed, they really have strayed off the path and have started their own little society on the hilltops, as we discussed last week, that they don't continue to become more and more violent and and murder people. I mean, this, this you know, not that lighter violence is okay. Until now, they were burning churches, burning empty cars, Arab cars. They were puncturing tires. They were spray painting. This also has to be stopped. Sorry about that. This also has to be stopped. We can't allow that to go on. But until they had this kind of situation, I don't think that they were able to dig really as deep as they as they needed to. And um, the, these young kids are trained very well by other kids in these groups to 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 know how to avoid the tactics of the Shin Bet. They're told to keep quiet, not to talk, no matter what. And they did. They they held out for a very long time without talking. I don't know many people that could hold out um, for three weeks as they're literally being, uh, I, I don't want to use the word torture, but close to it. You know, you're you're tied down to a chair for three days in a row. You're you're not allowed to sleep. You're you're tied on your back with your arms and legs tied to the. You you put. Your back is flat on the seat and your arms and legs are tied underneath you, sort of like a bridge, and you're kept in that position for a long time. All these things that it seems that they did to them. Now, that's what created the situation where the parents were demonstrating and others were demonstrating against the Shin Bet. But I believe that if we have a small group of misguided youth who are who have taken to terror activities then we got to do whatever we got to do to stop it before it gets too big, before it's out of control, before we can stop it. So that we don't say in the, at some point in the future, oh my God, why didn't we stop it when it was a small um, group? That's what would happen. And so sometimes you have to use means that are not the best, not the ones you would. And by the way, if they would talk, if these kids would have exposed themselves, if they would say, yes, we did it, if they would... Some people who know things would get up and say, yes, we know that this kid is involved in this. It would it would do away with the torture. But it seems that these kids believe that it, it's some sort of a holy mission on their part not to talk. And not to, uh, and the parents as well, not to speak out, not to go to the Shin Bet and say, listen, my kid or my neighbor's kid is a part of a group that we afraid might be part of this. 
Now, here's the other angle, and the other angle is the Shin Bet. The Shin Bet is using very, very harsh tactics. Uh, there was an interview yesterday with a kid who is part of this group, but was not involved, it seems, in any destructive activity. Was not involved, it seems, in, in any of the, uh, the activities, whether it was the spray painting, the burning of, of, of buildings, empty buildings, cars, and so forth. But he was part of the group. And the Shin Bet felt that he had information, and they held him for two weeks without a lawyer, and they beat the heck out of him. And it's horrible, and it's quite frankly horrific, and it frightens me. Now, this kid wasn't just some kid who they picked off the street. He definitely was a part, and maybe he even knew of what was going on. But he is innocent. And I think in our world, we would be horrified if we knew of a kid that was picked up by the Secret Service and beaten and for two weeks not able to see anyone, not a lawyer, nobody. So these are the two sides of this. Does the Shin Bet get to do whatever they want? Is everything kosher? The third side is the media, who we'll get to soon. But first we'll go to the music. Yom Shaloyachzo, Rami Kleinstein, off of his new album. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten.
Rami clenched in Yom Shaloyach Zor. On the Israel Show, my name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. The Israel Show is sponsored by Nefesh, Benefesh, Nefesh, Benefesh. What an amazing organization. Devoted entirely to um, helping people from North America make Aliyah. Can you have a better goal than that? I mean, in your, in your, when you put out your uh, goals, the goals of your corporation, your company, your not-for-profit, you could just put out that line, helping Jews make Aliyah. All right. I mean, I can't think of anything better than that. Well, I can, but you know what I mean. It is a great, it is a great goal. And, uh, we encourage you to uh, check out their website and see how they can help you. Even if you're not thinking of Aliyah, like right now, something that you should always have in mind. So, um, please, by all means, do visit their website, see what they, what they do and all the, um, activities that they have in America throughout the year where you could go and see what they offer, be impressed by what they do, and um, help start maybe your thinking process for Aliyah. Their website is www.nbn.org.il, www.nbn.org.il. And the Israel Show is very proud to be sponsored by Nefesh Benefesh, revolutionizing Aliyah. We've been getting some comments on the Nachum Siegel Network app, um, one of our listeners writes that um, people are frustrated because Israel arrests peaceful protesters. Remember Gush Katif and how people were arrested and tortured. I don't know about torture, but uh, and so let me clarify: I'm not justifying everything Israel does by by no means. And there are excesses in Israeli police in the Shin Bet. There are, and there have been. Shin Bet has done some horrible things. Um, the Shin Bet, back in the day, tried to frame a former Israeli general, Yitzhak Mordechai, um, because they didn't want to take responsibility for something they did. Uh, they could be, look, the people that are in the Shin Bet, uh, if they, if they're not devious and harsh when they get there, then they're gonna become devious and harsh over the years. They're in the Secret Service. Their job is to get get information out of people who don't want to give it. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying that, yes, there have to be limits. And, and as the time goes on, there are limits placed. But sometimes, it, but it is always a very fine line between the limits that you place on them and the ability of the Shin Bet to succeed in protecting us. At the end of the day, the fact that we can live in Israel, reside in Israel, is with thanks to the Israel Defense Forces and to the Shin Bet. So it's something that we do have to remember. Um, But yes, there's a fine line. There is a line. And we need to make sure that uh, the Shin Bet, there is some oversight. But if they feel that they can't do their job, that their hands are tied, then, then we got a problem. Then, then the state of Israel has a problem. Um, we have another commenter. The Shin Bet is out of control before Hilltop. I don't understand. I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't understand what this commenter is saying. Um, but, um, okay. Just didn't come through exactly the way uh, it was expected to. 
We'll try and keep up with the comments, and you can do so on the Facebook page. It makes it even easier, facebook.com slash the Israel show. Um, and so the, I, I wanted to speak briefly about the role of the media here in this whole situation. Most of the media is very happy to use this situation to, um, to come down on the religious Zionist community as a whole, which is something that is quite Quite frankly, it's, it's, it's a evil, I think. It's evil and it's dangerous. And it's, it's very harmful for the future of Israel. You cannot have a group of people who consider themselves an elite, the media elite, that will constantly bash on a certain group in order to make them look bad. Unfortunately, that's what the media does. Now, when that group gives them ammunition, it makes it all, this, all, all the, that much easier. But religious Zionism today is growing in Israel. And their presence at the top echelons of Israel is growing. And that bothers many people who are secular, who don't want to see the growth of the religious Zionist movement in the top echelons of Israel. So it's very nice when it's in theory, but when suddenly the jobs at the top, the positions... If you line them up, they all have kipot through goat. Then the secular people start getting scared, and now they they want to tar and feather the whole religious Zionist movement. They want to use the situation of the hilltop youth to uh, besmirch everybody. Look, just yesterday, the new attorney general was appointed. He doesn't wear a knit yarmulke, kipot through He wears a black yarmulke. His name is Avichai Mandelblit. He was, um, if you if you remember watching uh, news reports, <coughs> excuse me, of the Israeli government meetings, he would always be sitting to Net- on Netanyahu's left. If you're looking at the screen, it was on it, you know, to the right of Netanyahu. Um, little beard, black kippah. He is now. The Attorney General, the Yoetza Mishpatila Memshala, which is a combination of jobs in Israel, it's the Chief Prosecutor and Attorney General, very powerful position. The um, head of the Shin Bet, Yoram Cohen, wears a kippah. The head of the Mossad grew up in a religious Zionist home, and he's somewhat still within that camp. The new police chief is a very strong religious Zionist person, Kipasruga. A good part of the mid-level officers in the army are also from the religious Zionist. They're all products of the religious Zionist movement. The schools, the high schools, Bnei Akiva. That scares a lot of people. Look, there are some people who claim that it's a pre-planned, it's a methodical campaign by the religious Zionist movement. To, to get people into these key positions. There's no such conspiracy. There's a very ideological group of people who believe in the state of Israel, who believe they should be a part of the state of Israel, not just on the sidelines, who believe that it is incumbent upon them from a religious perspective, not just from a secular perspective, from a religious perspective, to, uh, to partake in the daily 
workings of the state. That means positions, whether in the police or in the Shinbet or in the army or wherever. So that's, it's, it's not shocking that one finds now that this upper echelon is being occupied. Look, until now it was occupied. I shouldn't say until now, but for many years it was occupied by the heads of Mapai, David Ben-Gurion's group. There, there was a conspiracy to keep others out. They, if you didn't have the right, um, the right ID card, so to speak, if you didn't belong to the correct political party, if you were part of Begin's group, or the Lechi, it was very hard for you to get a job in Israel back in the day. Forget about, forget about a, a supervising job. So I think it's great that this is happening, but it does. It scares the media that are ruled mainly by the secular, and there are more people in the media today with kippot who got come from the religious Zionist camp that you've seen before. That's a great thing. I think it's something of, of, of something for us to be happy about, and something for uh, for us to look forward to as as it, it, it continues. One other um, nice thing we'll end off before we end off with our song. Let me also share with you that um, the the date we 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 opened up the show as we do every time with the Jewish date Chaf Gimel Tevet Tavshinayin Vav. So it turns out that uh, around this time there's a lot of interesting things that happen in Jewish history. Chaf Tevet, which was um, Thursday night, Friday, was actually the yard site of the Rambam. The Rambam passed away, Chav Tevet, 811 years ago. 811 years ago. And imagine, imagine that 811 years later, people are still studying it with tremendous gusto, with great excitement. It's amazing, it's awesome, and I posted on our Facebook page a picture of the actual manuscript in the Rambam's handwriting that we have found of his Perush HaMishnah. It's written in in, in the Yiddish of the day. It was a, a, a dialect of Arabic, Judeo-Arabic, that the, the Jews used because they didn't know Hebrew. And they didn't speak the regular Arabic. They spoke like a Jewish Arabic. Like I say, it's like a form of Yiddish. Like Yiddish is to German, this is to Arabic. And that the Rambam wrote many of his works in that language. The Mishnah Torah was written in Hebrew, but the Moranavuchim and others of his letters and so forth are all written and then, then had to be translated into Hebrew for us to understand them today because we don't speak that uh, that Judeo-Arabic that they spoke. So um, that's just an awesome thing that um, I believe that manuscript came from the Cairo Geniza and uh, you could look at it on the Facebook page if you want. You could just uh, there's also, I believe, a link to uh, where uh, we found it. It's so cool to say, "Wow, the Rambam wrote this. This is his signature, his handwriting. This is what he's uh, bequeathed to us, if you will, his words and his thoughts and his ideas." And on Chaf Aleph Tevet, which was Shabbat, Eliezer ben Yehuda's birthday. He was born in 1858. And um, the Academy of the Hebrew Language has proclaimed that to be the Hebrew Language Day in the, in Israel um, in honor of Eliezer ben Yehuda, who revitalized the language, took it from a language that was used only for study and learning, 
and made it into a language that can be used in the day to day, which is just awesome. And he, he was a, a, a brilliant man and he had a tremendous knowledge of the breadth of Torah sources, Midrashim and, and, and Gemara and so forth. And, and it was through that that he was able to come up with so many of the uh, the words that he did that we use today in modern Hebrew. Now, there is, of course, uh, a, a conflicting opinions. Uh, Bialik, for example, believed that uh, Ben Yehuda took too much credit for himself and that um, Bialik believes that there, was, there were many people who together were the um, – resuscitated the Hebrew language. They, it, it was reborn through them. Well – Hard to say, I don't know, but somehow in history these things happen that um, there's a public sort of acceptance of something, and whether it's right or wrong, it's accepted, which is not good, it just is. <laughs> so so we're going to, we mentioned that and we celebrate that as well. Um, we're going to end off with a song in honor of Eliezer Ben Yehuda by Chava um, Alberstein. It's uh, the famous Eliezer Ben Yehuda song by Chava Alberstein. But we'll do so after we uh, thank everybody. We thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, encore presentations of Eternal Flame with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, followed by headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. So until next Monday, hopefully I'll be all better by then. Till next Monday following JM in the A, and this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race.
ונולד לו בחזות האיש אמר, זה הבכור, אקרא לו בן יהודה איתמר, שמינקות ועד קמילה מיום בואו 